My name is Adele Campbell. Today's first reading is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Listen for the word of God. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Our second reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 10, beginning at verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we, we ask of you. And he said to them, what is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or be baptized with a baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. 
For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, your word is a two-edged sword. Your word has the power to knock us down and to raise us up. We pray that through these words, these human words, we might participate in your death, the death of our old selves, that we might be raised with Christ in newness of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. They knew that Jesus was destined for greatness. He'd healed people, multiplied a few fish and loaves to feed thousands, become famous, gathered huge expectant crowds of followers. By then, folks were saying that this is it. Here comes the Messiah. The Messiah being the figure sent by God to take the throne of creation and to set the world right. Jesus is the guy. And of course, if Jesus is the Messiah, he's got to have, he has to parade into the holy city of Jerusalem on a donkey, according to the scriptures anyway, but it's also what every king or conqueror does when they take power. It's what the Romans did when they invaded. If Jesus is next, he's going to have to do that too. So Jesus and co. are getting ready for the big parade, and a voice whispers in Jesus' ear. It's James and John, a couple of commercial fishermen. Jesus pulled off the boat to come follow him in his early days. They were there at the beginning. This time, though, they do the pulling. They drag Jesus to a quiet corner to discuss some post-parade details. Teacher, they say, we've got a little favor to ask of you. And, you know, Jesus being Jesus says, sure. What can I do for you? Considering that we signed up first, they say, considering we've been with you the longest and considering that we gave up our commercial licenses and some pretty decent contracts to get behind you, we figure it's only fair if we each get a seat at your cabinet table once you're sworn into office. One on your left, one on your right. Minister of the Interior, Oceans and fisheries, whatever it is, we're glad just to have a seat at the table. The point is that once you're in power, you'll need some loyal people in high places, and who is more loyal than the two of us? Now, you know, there are some lots of moments in the New Testament where Jesus does a little, you know, forehead slap because his disciples don't really get it, don't really know what he's talking about, and this one is a classic you guys really don't know what you're getting into, 
Do you, Jesus asks them. You really sure that you can drink the cup I'm drinking? You really sure you want to get dunked in the same font that I was dunked in, that I was baptized in? Of course, the cup Jesus is talking about, the baptism Jesus is talking about, is his upcoming execution on the cross. Despite the fact that Jesus told them on many occasions that he's going to be betrayed, suffer, and die, these guys assume that Jesus is just going to waltz into town, take the throne, and rule like any other king, and that following him means a piece of that power pie, hoisting, you know, spiritual Stanley Cup above your head in celebration. They assume that they're on their way to bliss, their own share of the glory. They assume that each step towards Jerusalem is a step on a ladder to the stars. Each is a rung to greater glory, more power, and more prestige, one after the other. And I mean, to be fair to James and John, this is generally how we think spirituality works. It's about being better, doing better, transcending, growing, awakening, enlightening, educating, success, fulfillment, prosperity, all those good, nice words. And these aren't necessarily bad things, of course, and Jesus' brand of spirituality has a ladder in it, all right. But Jesus actually says that the ladder goes in the opposite direction. It goes in the opposite direction. The ladder leads not upwards towards blue skies, but downwards into the dirt, not upward, but downward into the same death that Jesus himself will endure. The cup I'm drinking from is my own death, Jesus tells us. It's not all smiles and sunshine. Shoulder that cross. My baptism is drowning in the waters of death. I mean, are you sure you're ready for a swim with me? This week... We continue in our sermon series, Living Underwater on Baptism as a Way of Life. Last week, we talked about baptism as birthing, as being made new, the language of new creation, becoming a new person, new life, being born again. But, as Jesus says, it's a new life that first comes out of death. There is birthing, but there is also burying. Do you not know, the Apostle Paul asks in his letter to the church in Rome, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from dead, the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In baptism, we are reborn, raised to newness of life with Christ, but it's a life that emerges out of the tomb. I mean, if you see the image on the screen here, this image is one of the early baptismal fonts, and it's cross-shaped, being baptized into his death. One of the early Christian theologians, Cyril of Jerusalem, said, three times you were plunged into the water, signifying Christ's burial 
for three days. By this action you died and you were born, and for you the saving water was at once a grave and the womb of a mother. So in order to be raised with him, we have to die with him. There's no Easter Sunday without Good Friday. Baptism is not only birthing, it's burying, it's dying in order to rise. Now, what do we mean by dying exactly? Paul says that with Christ our old self was crucified so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we no longer would be enslaved to sin. Our old self is us as fallen, broken creatures in our inability to do the good and our tendency towards self-centeredness. In all of our selfishness, all of our greed, our envy, and our hatred, our resentment, the will to power in us that is the source of so much human heartache and violence, the wounds that cause us to wound others. If you've ever heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. That's our old self, what Paul calls elsewhere in Romans, the old Adam. The old Adam. If you've ever, I don't know, if you've ever... I feel like one of my grandparents said at one point about my brother and I were not doing something right, and they said, he's got a little of the old Adam in him, <laughs> right? Paul calls the old Adam after our first parent. It's our complete failure to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves, our failure to be like Jesus, to be the people we were created to be. Now, Paul says that this old self doesn't need, just need a few tweaks or behavioral modifications or strategic improvements. It doesn't need to go to the self-help section at the bookstore, pick up the right titles. You know, for Paul, that's like patching termite rot with a new coat of paint. He says that the old Adam in us needs to be traded out entirely. It needs to drown. It's like compost. It's got to perish before anything new can grow. It needs to hop in the grave, and it needs to die. Which sounds pretty terrifying, if you ask me. Impossible, even. Like, I don't want to give up a lot of that old Adam stuff. I don't want to give it up. I mean, I'm reminded of a brutally honest prayer by the, late, or by the great theologian Stanley Hauerwas, and the prayer goes like this, forgiving Lord, forgiving Lord, he prays, I do not want my enemies forgiven. I want you to kill them, as sometimes prays the psalmist. Actually, I would prefer to pray that you punish them rather than kill them, since I would like to watch them suffer. I fear losing my enemies, he eventually admits, because they're more precious than my loves. If I lost my hates, if I lost my enemies, how would I know who I am? Letting our hates die is costly. It's painful. Letting our resentments our inadequacies, 
our anger, our judgmentalism, our greed, our self-justifications, letting our sin die is the last thing that we want to do. And we can't do it even because its grip on us is so tight that we can't imagine life without it. Like any drug, we've become so dependent, so accustomed that we can't pull ourselves away for fear that we would be destroyed in the process. We need a drastic detox. We can't just quit cold turkey. Now, one of the most disturbing sermons I've ever read is on this text from Romans, and it was delivered by Stanley P. Saunders, another Stanley. I seem to just have bald, you know, 60-something white guys on the screen the last few weeks. Here's another one. <laughs> um, but he, one of the most disturbing sermons I've read is on this text by Stanley Saunders, an American preacher and academic and civil rights activist to the Open Door community, a Christian community devoted to serving and advocating for the homeless in the slums of Atlanta, Georgia, which unfortunately closed in 2017. But this sermon was delivered on the day of his infant son, Carson's baptism. This text on Romans, and here he gets to what's needed of us. Whatever else we might think is going on during a baptism, Saunders says, whatever else we might think is going on during a baptism, there should be no way to avoid the conclusion that while baptism is about new life and celebration, it is also about a death in the family. While baptism is about new life and celebration, it is also about death, a death in the family. And here's the disturbing part of the sermon. In a few minutes, he says, we are going to put my son Carson to death. And soon after, we hope to raise him up again. In fact, if all goes according to plan, these events will happen so quickly that you might think the death didn't really take place. But don't be fooled. Carson Paul Smith Sanders is going to die today. Brenda and I have come to believe that this is necessary because we no longer trust in our own capacities as sinners living in a broken and distorted world to raise him up in a way that befits the dignity and beauty he possessed at the moment of his birth and to preserve his life from the powers of violence and death. We are convinced that his ongoing participation in this world will only corrupt and finally destroy him. So we decided in his baptism to give him back to God. We decided in his baptism to give him back to God. Like I said, this is one of the most disturbing sermons I've ever read. Holding children together and death in this way sounds kind of morbid, a little difficult to hear, 
But maybe this is the only kind of image that can get at this incredible truth. Saunders and his wife knew this truth, the truth that our old selves are beyond repair from the beginning. The truth that we need a complete restart from the bottom up. They understood the truth that we don't have the capacity to create this new life for ourselves, let alone our children, but that our only hope is to be found in the God we meet in Jesus Christ, in the God we meet on the cross, to give ourselves back to God, to give ourselves entirely over to Christ to die, trusting that we'll be raised to new life with him. Like I said, it's a little disturbing. It's a little morbid, a little scary. But the good news is that ultimately we have nothing to fear, even in death itself, literal death. We have nothing to fear because Christ has conquered death and sin in himself and has been raised. I've said this each of the last few weeks in this series, that baptism isn't a magic charm that fixes us, but it carries God's promises to us, the promise that we can let our old selves go because we trust that whatever is in us that has to die, Christ is raising something new and beautiful in its place. It's a promise we can cling to day after day after day after day, that we can give ourselves over to God, dying and rising daily in Christ. We can let our old selves go because we trust that whatever in us has to die. Christ is raising something new and beautiful in its place. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, that when we were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death? Do you not know? What in you has to die? What in you has to die? The good news is you can let it die. Because as we've been united with Christ in his death, so too we have been united with him in his resurrection. Baptism means that the old self is dead and gone. And then in Christ, you are a new creation. So again, every time you wash your face, Remember this truth every time you bathe your kids or your grandkids, go for a swim at the aquatic center, wash your car, duck and cover in the rain. Remember that you have been drowned with him and raised with him into newness of life. 
remember Christ's death is yours, but even more so, his resurrection. And for this, thanks be to God. Amen.
please remain standing.